Welcome back to the Grace 412 podcast. It is Wednesday morning. We are so excited to be back together this evening, studying out this kind of unconventional Easter series that we are calling Humble Beginnings. We've been looking at the life of David, considering how even in the Old Testament we can see this picture of Jesus. We can get this better picture of who God is and who we are. And then at the end of these sessions, we're, we're sort of trying to apply then how we should live in light of that. And so tonight we're going to look at a very simple thing. We're going to look at a God who is gracious to his enemies. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and what we're going to do is read the entire story. It's a story that maybe people have heard before, maybe they haven't, but we're going to read through the whole story. Uh, so hang on tight, and then we're going to unpack some practical things that we can apply, some ways that we can see um, the picture of a gracious king in David, and then obviously in the person of Jesus, and then how we should live in light of that. So uh, 1 Samuel 24, it says this, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And when David... Uh, when the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I'll deliver thine enemy into thy hand, you may do to him as you'll see good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt from Saul's robe privately. So Saul and his men are chasing David. They go into this cave. Uh, they don't realize that David's in there. David and his men see him, and David's like, Ooh, I'm, I, could, I could finally get Saul. He cuts off the skirt of his robe. But it says in verse 5, It came to pass afterward, David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after him, saying, Saul, my Lord and my king. And when Saul looked uh, behind him, David stood with his face to the earth and bowed himself. So David, uh, after cutting off part of Saul's robe, is like, hey, this isn't really right. I shouldn't have done this. He's he's still the king. He's still God's anointed. So David tells his men, hey, we're not going to kill Saul. Saul walks out of the cave. David walks out after him, bows down before him and says, uh, my Lord, my King. And then David said to Saul, wherefore hear your men's words saying, behold, Dave seeks your hurt. He says, why are you believing these people that say I'm trying to hurt you? He says in verse 10, behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered you to my hand today in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, and I killed you not, that you would see there is neither evil or transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet you hunt my soul to take it. And the Lord judge between you and me, he says, the Lord judge between us, and the Lord avenge me of thee, and my hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth out of the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. So David says, hey, Saul, look, I could have killed you. I didn't. And now you can see that. He says, I'm, I'm not trying to, to do you any harm here, Saul. This battle is yours, not mine. I'm, I'm not fighting back here. 
After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. He says, who am I, Saul? What are you, what are you doing? The Lord therefore be the judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this the voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast re rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. Verse 18, he says, And you have showed this day that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, you killed me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. Verse 20 says, And now behold, I know well that thou should surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel should be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt cut not off my seed from me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore it unto Saul, and Saul went home, and David and his men got them up unto his hold. So, so Saul goes into this cave. He's, he says he's, he's going to the bathroom. David his men see him. They've been in this cave. Saul can't see them. David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. He cuts off part of Saul's robe. He lets him go. He comes out. He shows Saul. He explains all this to him. He says, Saul, what are you doing? I'm, I'm not trying to fight you. He says, let the Lord judge between you and me who's going to be king of the kingdom, but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to lay a charge against God's anointed. And so Saul looks up. He says, God is clearly giving me into your hands. He's clearly giving you the kingdom. And so Saul's like, hey, listen, just remember my family. Don't cut my offspring. Don't cut off my family line. And David says, all right, I swear it. And then Saul goes back his way home. David goes back kind of into hiding. This is a crazy story. But what can we learn from this story? We're going to pick it apart a little bit verse by verse now. The first thing is the way that David submitted himself. In verse 6, he says, this is God's anointed. In verse 8, it says that David then bowed and paid homage to God's anointed. Verse 12, he says, hey, let the Lord judge between me and you. And then in verse 10, he says, but I'm not going to put my hand against you. You are the Lord's. And then verse 15, he says, again, the Lord judge between me and you. David is constantly submitting himself to God's authority, to God's plans, to God's God's purposes to the ones that God has appointed. Something that we learn from the way that David responded to his enemies and to his authority is also something we see in the example of Jesus, and that's this. They were submitted to God's greater plan. When confronted with his enemy, David could have fought back. He could have defended himself. He could have freed himself. He could have uh, even attacked his enemy and relieved himself of the oppression of his enemy, but instead he trusted and submitted himself to God's plan. A very similar thing happened to Jesus. As we remember the parallel, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying with his disciples, and the, guard, the guards come to take him away. You look at it in John chapter 18. It says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, he came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, he went forth and he said unto them, who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, hey, I'm he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. So Jesus being taken, he doesn't fight. In fact, in verse 8, he actually says, hey, just take me. Let these others go in peace. 
But if you know the story, you know what happens in verse 10. It says, this, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Peter attacks. He, he cut off this, cuts off this soldier's ear, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But you look at how Jesus responds. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up your sword into the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? What's he say? Hey, should I not drink the cup of my father? Is this not my purpose? Is this not God's plan? Jesus was submitted to God's plan, and therefore he didn't fight back against what would seem to be his enemy. He didn't attack. He didn't respond in violence. Instead, both David and Jesus chose to sacrifice what they wanted to do now for what God wanted to do through them now and later. They were trusting God's ultimate plan. And the reality is we don't have people who are probably out to kill us like David or like Jesus, but we have people who we've made out to be our enemies. There are people who maybe have harmed us or hurt us. Maybe there are people who are against us or, or go against what we're trying to accomplish. And, and we don't go to war with them physically, but maybe emotionally or mentally or spiritually. We're going to battle against them. But David simply says, hey, let the Lord judge between me and you. He says, let, let, let God determine what's going to happen between us. Submitting to God's greater plan means doing the next right thing and trusting God to take care of the outcomes. Notice that David did stand up to Saul. He did speak truth to Saul. He didn't just stay in hiding in the cave, terrified, but he also didn't take matters into his own hands. He just said, hey, I don't know if I'm supposed to kill Saul or not right now. But I do know that I'm supposed to honor the king, and so that's what I'm going to do, the next right thing. Killing Saul wouldn't have been very honoring to Saul, the king. But David says, hey, I'm going to do what I know is right, and I'm going to let God be the judge, you and me, between us. What's going to happen next? If you feel that you're at war with somebody, if you feel you're in competition with somebody, do the next right thing. Be a person of honesty. Be a person of integrity. Be a person of patience. And let the Lord judge. Let the Lord take care of the outcomes. People will see the difference. And if they don't, who cares? God knows. You do what you know is right. And let God take care of the outcomes. That's what it looks like to submit to God's greater plan. Application number one is this. Simply put, be a person of integrity. And you see this in both David and Jesus as we go on. David in verse 10, he says, I won't put my hand against my Lord or against the king. Verse 12, he says, my hand will not be against you, Saul. Verse 11, he says, there's no treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you. Verse 13, he says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but not for me. He says, I'm not going to be a person who does violence. And you see that in Jesus as well. If you look at Matthew's account in verses in chapter 26 and verse 51 and 52, Jesus says, hey, put the sword away. He says, all that live by the sword will die by the sword. And then in verse 52, he goes on. He's like, hey, don't you think that I could pray right now and have 12 legions of angels here? He says, hey, I could do this. It's not like I, I couldn't defend myself. It's not like I couldn't fight back, but I'm choosing not to. David and Jesus were both committed to being a people of peace. David says, hey, Saul, you can hate me, but my hand is not going to be against you. You're going to be fighting on your own because I'm not fighting back. 
Jesus says, hey, listen, all that live by the sword are going to die by the sword. What he's doing, he's using this reference to war to say, hey, if you want a war, you're going to get one. He's not saying not to defend yourself. He's not saying not to fight back. What he's saying is, hey, if you're seeking a battle, that's what you're going to get. But both David and Jesus humbled themselves and displayed the greatest sign of strength, and that's meekness and self-control. It's, it's power under control. Uh, when I was growing up, my brother and I, we used to wrestle a lot, especially with some of our friends. And especially before I got bigger and stronger, um, my brother was a couple years older. And so he was always kind of the one that was able to beat up on me. But I would get so mad. We'd be wrestling around and have fun. And then I'd get so mad that I would just lose it. I'd lose control. And I, I would like really, at some point, it would turn from some fun to me wanting to hurt him. And my brother, he would just hold me down. He would just try to keep me under control. And he would he would always look at me and say, you good? He'd hold me down and, and I'm, I'm flailing, I'm fighting, I'm attacking, I'm swinging, I'm screaming. And he's like, hey, you good? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good. And then he'd let me go and I'd start swinging again and he'd hold me down and say, are you good? He says, hey, I don't wanna hurt you here. He was under control. He had, he had the ability to do me harm, but he was holding that under control and holding me under control and this even with ollie now there there'll be a time when he's he's in timeout or he's supposed to sit still and I'll, I'll be holding his arms down or i'll be holding him still and he's fighting me and i have to look at him and say son you're not stronger than dad my brother could have uh crushed me i could bug oliver or pester oliver or torture oliver or hurt oliver some of you could hurt your enemies or that person you don't get along with. David could have hurt Saul. Jesus could have hurt the soldiers. But you look at what he says in Matthew 26, uh, 53. He says, Think not, or think thou that I could not now pray to my Father, and he would presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. He says, Hey, I could do this, but that wouldn't have led to heart change. They instead were committed to being a person of peace. They said, hey, I'm not going to fight back against you right now. They recognized what we recognized last week, the real enemy, Satan, sin, and self. And they recognized the eternal implications of their decisions. Committing to be a person of peace means fighting. And by the way, it does mean sometimes fighting. But it means fighting the real enemy at the right time, in the right way, and for the right reason. It's the age-old reality that meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is power or strength under control. See, a lot of us get into these places where we want to fight back or we want to go to battle or we want to defend ourselves because we've got something to prove or we've truly legitimately been hurt. But the reality is that one of the loudest points you will ever make is when you remain silent. One of the greatest signs of strength you will ever display is the strength to hold yourself back to remain in control. One of the greatest effects you can have on someone is to repay evil with good. Power under control requires more power and control than either one of them by themselves. A lot of us need to hold back our anger. A lot of us need to learn to control our response. A lot of us need to learn to be patient. A lot of us need to remember the great grace that was shown to us. Just as David could have hurt Saul and been justified, Jesus could have hurt those soldiers and been justified. God could have punished us and been justified, but instead he poured out his wrath on his own son, Jesus, 
who was the propitiation, who was the replacement, who took the penalty for our sins. And in this, we see the perfect picture of salvation. We see the perfect picture of power under control. We see the perfect picture of grace and truth, of love and mercy and justice. That song says, heaven's peace and perfect justice met a guilty world with love. And so the question to us is, if if David, who was really completely in the right and could have had justification to harm Saul, didn't harm Saul, if Jesus, who was completely in the right and could have harmed those soldiers, didn't harm those soldiers, if God, who was completely holy and righteous, could harm us, but instead took our place and took our punishment, what makes us so righteous and so powerful that to make us think that we get to respond with justice and punishment and vengeance toward one who wrongs us? Application number two, simply put, be a person of peace. You see it in David and you see it in Jesus. And being a person of peace helps us to get to this last example of what they set for us. They were focused on the heart of the other person. And this is what being a person of peace does. It focuses us on the other person. It it forces us to consider the other person. Verse 14, David says, why are you wasting your time on me, Saul? He says, he says, I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm no one in the grand scheme. Like you left fighting the Philistines to come after me. Verse 17, he says, you've repaid me good. Saul says, you've repaid me good where I repaid you evil. In verse 20, Saul says, I now know that you will surely be king. You see, David's actions caused Saul to see the truth, to see the the, the future for both of them. And then in verse 21 and 22, it says, David swore that he would not cut off Saul's offspring. And we talked about that just last week with Mephibosheth and David showing honor to Saul and Jonathan's family line. And this same thing plays out in Jesus' story. In, in Luke's account, verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 51, it says, Jesus answered, after Peter cut that ear off, Jesus answered and said, suffer you this far. And he touched his ear, Malchus's ear, and he healed him. Jesus touches and heals a, a soldier who was taking him to his very own crucifixion. A soldier who, who, who was going to, to lead Jesus to his agonizing death. Jesus reaches out and heals him. Both David and Jesus allowed acts of grace to change the hearts of people. They did not use force, power, or coercion. See, we don't know the rest of Malchus' story, but can you imagine being the soldier who was healed by the one who you were taking captive? We have no idea the eternal implications that that one moment had uh, on Malchus' heart and life, or on the effect that it had on all those around him, on his on his disciples, on the other soldiers. We do know Saul, at very least at this moment, uh, saw the truth. He said, hey, now I know God gave me to your hand. Now I know you did the right thing. Now I know you are going to be king. Saul saw the light. Now he went on to choose his own way, and it eventually led to his destruction and his end. But that was because of his own actions. That wasn't on David. David let Saul's actions uh, take Saul down the path that Saul chose, rather than taking matters into his own hands. Saul's end was completely on Saul. 
But David chose to be a person of peace, and David's actions led Saul to see the truth and have a chance to choose what was right. David said, hey, as for me, I'm going to treat you with love, respect, and grace. Jesus said, as for me, I'm going to treat Malchus with love and respect and with grace. I want him to know true grace and true mercy and true love. Application number three, simply put, is be a person of empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. See, Jesus was perfect. Jesus had never sinned, but Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. David was rightfully going to be king. He, he had been given the throne. He had been anointed, but he submitted himself to Saul. He paid honor and respect to Saul anyway. And so for us, when we come to these practical applications, let's not flatter ourselves. If anything, we should more easily be able to empathize with those who wrong us because at minimum, we are often partially to blame. At minimum, we are sinners in need of grace. There was this quote that I took away from our Sunday service talking about parenting, but I repackaged it because it fits so well with this topic tonight. When it comes to giving grace to our enemies, we have to remember that focusing on the other person means recognizing I am a sinner in need of grace, engaging with another sinner in need of grace. This does not mean that everyone is going to be my best friend. This does not mean that everyone is going to be in close relationship with me. This does not mean that I am going to uh, trust everyone blindly, especially those who have done me harm or have hurt me. David and Saul weren't having Monday dinners together every week. But what it means is it means that I am recognizing the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, the grace that I've been shown, and I am seeking to share that with others. It means that I am committed to being a person of integrity, peace, and empathy. Do you have enemies? Do you have those people that you can't get along with, with those people that, that seem to just be always going against you? What if we recognize the grace that we've been shown? What if we would strive to be a person of integrity and we would just do the next right thing for God's glory and trust him with the outcome? What if we would strive to be a person of peace and we would fight the real enemy the right way at the right time for the right reasons? And we would strive to be a person of empathy and we would recognize we are a sinner in need of grace, engaging with another sinner in need of grace. And would God use that mindset switch to change our perspective and thus change our relationships, not just one another's, not just with our friends, not just with our family, not just with the people we like, but even with our enemies for his glory and for eternity's sake. Let's do that as we go our separate ways this week. And as we encounter difficult people, may we remember we too can be difficult people. And so let's love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, edify one another, serve one another, submit to one another for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of God's glory. Let's do this as we go our separate ways and we'll catch up again next week.